0: This is Guns and Butter.
1: There's something happening, yeah. yeah, yeah. What it is ain't exactly
2: clear. There's a man with a gun over there. Some 20 years later, Jonestown still raises as many questions as it does answers. Was it a mass suicide or a mass murder? Was it a mind control experiment gone awry? Was the CIA somehow involved?
0: I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today's show, Mind Control and Jonestown, excerpts from Part 5 of Evidence of Revision, Conspiratus Conspicuous. November 18th is the anniversary of the massacre at Jonestown, Guyana. Some of the voices you will hear in today's broadcast include Professor Alan Shefflin of Santa Clara University Law School, Colin Ross, M.D., author of Mind Control, Linda MacDonald, Victim of Brainwashing Experiments, Martin Lee, Author of Acid Dreams, Sirhan Sirhan's Mother, Dr. Philip Melanson, Dr. William Bryan, Sir Sirhan Sirhan, Paul McKenna, Ph.D. Hypnotist, Former Congressman Leo Ryan, The Reverend Jim Jones, Deborah Layton, Jonestown Defector, Kit Nassamento, Minister of Communication, Guyana Government 1978, Jackie Spear, then legal aide to Congressman Ryan, Tim Carter, Jonestown survivor, reporter Bob Jimenez, Captain John Moscatelli, U.S. Air Force, Joseph Holsinger, legislative aide to Congressman Leo Ryan from a May 23, 1980 press conference, and lastly, researcher John Judge.
3: It is possible to instruct a highly hypnotizable person to perform many acts, including assassination.
4: For the past ten years, this eminent Californian lawyer has been investigating the links between hypnosis, the American security agencies, and murder. Can
5: hypnosis be used to influence people to commit illegal or immoral acts? There's generally a folklore that it can't be so used. And I think the reason for the folklore, for one, is to discourage people from trying, and two, because it took a while for hypnosis to establish itself as a valid therapeutic technique. Now that we know that it is a valid therapeutic technique, we can also see that just as it can be used for good, it can be used for evil. For example, in 1954, the four years before the Manchurian Candidate novel had been published, the Central Intelligence Agency had a team to build Manchurian candidates to commit assassinations and one of the most frightening memos that I've read uh, is a an experiment that they wanted to run to be able to program somebody to assassinate a foreign head of state or an American official. Surely this is just some conspiracy theory. What evidence is there to really support this? I'm interested in the historical fact, and the, the historical fact for me has come from Central Intelligence Agency documents. And the, the documents definitely established that by 1954, the CIA, or at least the component that did the hypnosis research, was convinced that they could program people into committing assassinations. A more recent experimentation by the Central Intelligence Agency suggests that they have conducted a series of what they call terminal experiments, and these are experiments which will end in the death of the subjects. Uh, in one set of uh, letters from the CIA to a researcher, they asked the researcher if he would be willing to conduct terminal experiments, and the researcher said he'd do it for free.
6: This eerie, foreboding structure, also known as Ravenscrack, became a house of psychological horrors all under the watchful eye of one of the world's leading physicians, Dr. Ewan Cameron.
5: The story of Dr. Ewan Cameron is one of the most tragic, but one of the most clearly visible stories of what happened during the
6: mind control experimentation days. Using unknowing Canadian citizens as test subjects, Cameron had developed a new procedure which caught the eye of the MK Ultra researchers, as well as the Canadian intelligence community. He was hired by the CIA and the Canadian government to further explore the treatment, which he called psychic driving.
7: First, Cameron proposed that they would use intensive electroshock and LSD and other disorienting drugs to, in his terms, de-pattern individuals, basically to wipe the slate clean. Second, using tape-recorded messages, try to program in new behaviors by repeating these messages hundreds of thousands of times while the victim was immobilized with other drugs. And uh, the final phase was to try to wipe the slate clean so that people could not, again, remember what had happened to them, but still have the new behavior.
4: The psychic driving experiments literally reduced the person to a vegetable. One of the uh, group of people was a man called Robert Logie, who lives in Vancouver. He was also a victim of these psychic driving experiments where tape loops were played countless hours per day, many months in a row. I heard uh, four words and uh, it's very hard for me to say uh, four words I remember
5: uh, where you killed your mother. None of this, of course, was therapeutic. None of it was warranted by the conditions under which the people had gone to the uh, institute. None of it was done with consent, and none of it was done with the awareness of the people that they were experimental guinea pigs in an advanced
6: brainwashing experiment. Another of Cameron's patients who endured months of mental torture was Linda McDonald.
8: I think there were about 80 of us. We discovered that these 80 people were just ordinary, everyday people. It could have been you, it could have been me, it was me. It could have been anybody who just walked through the doors of the Allen Memorial on the wrong day at the wrong time when Dr. Cameron needed another schizophrenic for his fun little stuff upstairs.
4: Linda McDonald started off as a pretty much normal person. She basically came into the hospital as a mother with many young children who was a little overwhelmed and depressed for just routine psychiatric treatment.
8: And three weeks after I was there, I was shipped up to the sleep ward, and I came out of there vegetable five months later.
7: By the time someone was in the sleep room, the ability of that individual to remember or describe what happened to them was very limited. So the descriptions that there are, are from nurses and from other people who worked at the facility, and their descriptions are, uh, to quote one, like something out of Dante's Inferno.
6: Within the walls of this living hell, patients would be subjected to electroshock therapy that went well beyond the professionally accepted guidelines of four to eight treatments.
8: I received a, a total of 109 electroconvulsive shock treatments in less than 5 weeks. I had 86 straight comatose days where I was uh, completely out of it. The purpose for all of this was to wipe from my memory, to take a life, to wipe it completely clean so I would not have a memory ever. When I came out uh, of the treatment and they had decided that I, my uh, memory was wiped sufficiently, I didn't know who I was. I was a baby. I, I, they had to toilet train me and they had to teach me to walk and talk and feed myself.
4: She has absolutely zero direct memory of her life before age 25. Now, it doesn't take long to figure out why the CIA or other intelligence agencies would be interested in such research.
1: Well, if Cameron can get it to work for a psychiatric patient, well, then they can use the same thing to to deprogram somebody and put them back together for a brainwashing
7: scenario.
6: It would not be until years later, after an emotional divorce from her husband and the painful loss of custody of her children, that Linda McDonald would learn of the hidden purpose behind the treatment she had received.
8: This big headline saying Dr. Cameron uh, CIA brainwashing experiments, and I stopped breathing for a minute. Um, you could have knocked me over. I couldn't. I knew Dr. Cameron was my doctor. I knew I had been at the Allen Memorial, but up until that moment, I believed because that's what I was told that the doctor had fixed me had done to me great things and i was lucky that he had been my doctor so i couldn't i couldn't not read the article and as i read it i became i was just horrified
3: this is the allen memorial institute in montreal one of canada's most highly respected psychiatric hospitals in 1956 the director of psychiatry here was dr ewan cameron one of the country's most highly regarded psychiatrists. Patients were referred to him by doctors from all over the world. Dr. Cameron was doing research of his own in the field of brainwashing. He was fascinated by the mind control he had heard described in countries behind the Iron Curtain. The CIA was fascinated too. The court case alleged that the CIA backed Dr. Cameron's horrific experiments, experiments that were conducted on more than 70 patients forcing them to endure three tormenting phases of so-called treatment. First, according to the complaint, Dr. Cameron and others would give patients mind-altering drugs, like LSD and angel dust. They would mask them and force them to inhale laughing gas. They would give them high-voltage electric shocks several times a day, effectively turning the patients into vegetables. Once the patients were immobilized, Dr. Cameron would play what were called psychic driving tapes, messages that were repeated up to half a million times. Finally, Dr. Cameron would put the patients to sleep with massive amounts of barbiturates. These sleep episodes could last 50 days or longer.
1: They took me in a room outside the ward, in a very little room, and they put three or four pillows at the end of the bed, and there were four doctors at the end of the bed there. And one doctor was uh, putting me a mask there. The doctor started from left to right there, uh, telling me, kill him, 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 kill him. What did they want to make me kill? I'll never know. <laughs> they never told me. I don't know.
6: By the early 1970s, word of the CIA's mind-control atrocities began to leak out to the public. An investigation was launched resulting in the creation of one presidential commission and two senate committees.
7: And my feeling now is that the CIA had overall powers (laughs) that put them in a different situation than other people.
6: The American public was in shock.
7: I am terribly upset that the
1: system is such that what happened could happen.
6: Their search for answers, however, would soon hit a dead end as investigators learned that Dr. Sidney Gottlieb had destroyed the majority of the documents relating to the MK Ultra program. It was now impossible for the American public to discover the truth about what the CIA learned from its mind-control research. Officially, the agency's position would be that 30 years of aggressive experimentation had yielded few, if any, productive results.
9: Sirhan's own diary
10: does repeatedly refer to mind control. You say that Sirhan was programmed, controlled, almost brainwashed to kill Robert Kennedy. It sounds like science fiction. As a matter of fact, it sounds like you watched the Manchurian Candidate movie
11: one time too many. What people don't understand about the Manchurian Candidate theory and the movie is that that movie was based on Condon's conversations, as I understand it, with people who were actually involved in CIA mind control research.
9: But if one concedes that a hypnoprogrammed assassin is a possibility, what evidence is there that Sirhan was in some sort of trance at the time of the murder?
11: I think the best evidence for Sirhan's hypnoprogramming comes from, uh, first of all, his behavior before, during, and after the crime. This, this spacey demeanor and uh, his chills afterwards, his blocking when, sensation when being interrogated. Uh, there's the fact that he was the perfect hypnotic subject and that was easily demonstrated by his doctors. And uh, then there is the bizarre fact that he genuinely could not recall the crime, how he got there, uh, how the shooting unfolded, so that the tracks of programming um, really seem to be there in Sir behavior and memory loss.
9: Witnesses in the pantry at the Ambassador Hotel would seem to support Dr. Melanson's conclusions. During the shooting itself, Sir Hand summoned extraordinary strength as he fought Roosevelt Greer and Rafer Johnson, who were unable to pry the gun from his hand for almost 40 seconds. Feats of unusual strength are often associated with hypnotic trances. Yet despite the shooting and the struggle that followed, onlookers were taken aback by the contented look on the gunman's face. In The Manchurian Candidate, robot assassin Raymond Shaw commits murder without any memory of his deed. As a cinematic plot device, this is perfectly acceptable. But otherwise, it's a very bizarre notion. Yet here, in the person of Sir Han, we have this unlikely circumstance. A perpetrator caught gun in hand who apparently, genuinely, cannot remember anything about the murder. He never claimed that he didn't do it. He didn't say he shouldn't be punished. He says only that he cannot remember. His memory of the evening stops as he is having coffee with a pretty girl and begins again with people pounding on him after the shooting. Listen to the plaintive words of the defendant's mother, Mary Serhan.
8: I asked him, I said, son, will you tell me why did you do that? His tears began to drop. He said, mama, I'm sorry, I don't remember anything. I was told that I killed Senator Robert Kennedy.
9: If we accept for the moment the possibility that Sirhan Sirhan was a remote control assassin, the question then arises as to who could have programmed him. Suspicion has fallen in recent years on a small group of West Coast doctors who were active in secret CIA mind control experiments. The most flamboyant of these was the late Dr. William Bryan. Again, Dr. Philip Melanson.
11: Uh, William Bryan was, by his own admission, um, one of the primary researchers for the government in brainwashing, in hypnoprogramming, and in a variety of things. He was an out-of-control, uh, super-hypno character who um, exploited women through his hypnosis practice and was temporarily disbarred as a result. He um, bragged about his work for the government, said he was the czar of brainwashing. And he was also involved with the man I call Reasoner, and with another man, um, all of whom worked together in southern and northern California, all of whom worked for the government. And um, my belief is that two of them, if not three of them, had something to do with Sarhan's programming.
9: William Bryan was a rather large man weighing 386 pounds. He has been variously referred to as the most brilliant man in the field of hypnotism and as a, quote, misguided genius. His private practice involved sex therapy, and by his own admission, he frequently had sex with his female patients. Did William Bryan believe that a subject could be programmed to perform acts that were out of character? Let's listen.
7: You have to have the person locked up physically, and there is also the use of uh, uh, long-term hypnotic suggestion, probably drugs, whatever, and so on. Under these situations, where you have all this going for you, I guess you can brainwash a person to do just about anything.
9: Did William Bryan have anything at all to do with Robert Kennedy's accused killer? Well, in the year before his death in 1976, Bryan reportedly bragged to two prostitutes who service him regularly, that he had, in fact, hypnotized Sir Han. Bryan also liked to brag about his most crowning achievement, the deprogramming of Albert DiSalvo, the Boston Strangler. In Sir Han's Notebook, that strange document with page after page of almost indecipherable trance-induced scribbling, there appears the entry. God help me, please help me. Salvo, di di salvo, di es salvo. It's a curious notation to be sure, but is it possible that while working upon Sir Han, the programmer couldn't help talking about his favorite subject? And that this entry, by way of the captured mind of Sir Han Sir Han, is really the palm print of Dr. William Bryan? If we take Sir Han's words, it's just not me at face value, then who was it? What bad dream befell this young man?
11: It's my handwriting, they you are know, my thoughts, but I don't remember them. They are the writings of a maniac. They're not the writings of me now.
0: You're listening to excerpts from Part 5 of Evidence of Revision, Conspiratist Conspicuous. Today's show, Mind Control and Jonestown. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter.
4: I think it's possible to brainwash, manipulate, coerce people to do just about anything, and we see this demonstrated in military training or in uh, the kind of conditioning that people go through when they get involved in cults, and they do things that are uh,
6: certainly way outside of the normal parameters of what they would consider moral. Nowhere was this more evident than in the small South American country of Guyana in the winter of 1978. The place was called Jonestown. On the surface, it appeared to be a gathering of ethnically diverse families assembled by the Reverend Jim Jones to live their dream of a racially harmonious society.
7: This reporter spoke to many Jonestown people. They all insisted that it was a peaceful and productive place in which to live.
8: Are you happy here? Oh, I should say I am. I've never been any happier in my life.
6: Despite the outward appearance of normality, reports of sexual abuse, torture, and members being held against their will filtered back to the United States. San Francisco Congressman Leo Ryan flew to Guyana to investigate the allegations. I'm very glad to be here. This is a congressional inquiry. I think that all of you know that I'm here to find out more about uh, questions that have been raised about your operation here. I can tell you right now that from a few conversations I've had with some of the folks here already this evening that uh, whatever the comments are, there are some people here who believe that this is the best thing that ever happened in their whole life. of the following day would shock the world.
2: later, Jonestown still raises as many questions as it does answers. Was it a mass suicide or a mass murder? Was it a mind control experiment gone awry? Was the CIA somehow involved? While still a teenager, Jones established a pulpit on the street corners of Richmond, Indiana, where he sold monkeys door to door in order to fund his activities. There he came to know a juvenile police officer named Dan Matron whose improbable path Jones would cross and recross in the years ahead. By the late 1950s, Jones had married his high school sweetheart, Marceline, and established an interracial church based in Indianapolis. He called it the People's Temple. At first, the church prospered, but Jones had a secret life. Matron left Richmond and joined a sometime CIA cover at the State Department. Coincidentally or not, Jones suddenly became of deep interest to the most clandestine department of the agency, whose activities included mind control experiments, attempts to assassinate Fidel Castro, and operations to infiltrate and disrupt black organizations. For reasons that the CIA has always refused to explain, they opened a secret file in Jones' name. Suddenly, Jones abandoned his church. And armed with two passports, the young charismatic preacher traveled to a series of political hotspots. Mexico, Cuba, Guyana, and Brazil. Though he spoke no Portuguese, in 1962, Jones moved to Belo Horizonte, a small town in Brazil. With no apparent means of support, he rented an expensive house and began to make in-depth studies into voodoo, faith healing, mass conversion, and ESP key investigative element of the cia's mind control program but jones was not the only person there from richmond indiana he later bragged of visits to his neighbor dan matron the former police chief was now working for a sometime cia cover at the u.s consulate training brazilian police in the subtleties of hostile interrogation Jones was also contacted by another key member of American intelligence at that time, John Lodison, who'd been kicked out of the Soviet Union for spying. In Brazil, he met with Jones for reasons that the CIA still refuses to explain. But Jones' stay in Brazil did not last. He left the country soon after a newspaper article appeared claiming he was a CIA agent. Returning to the USA, Jones moved the People's Temple to Northern California, where its membership grew rapidly.
12: Jones flourished in San Francisco's cult-worshipping atmosphere. Membership in his People's Temple swelled to nearly 20,000 as his reputation grew and he started food kitchens and daycare centers. He particularly targeted minorities. Believing that the ends justified the means, he put on fake displays of healing and said that he was the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. Using classic brainwashing techniques, he bound his followers to him so that they willingly gave him whatever property and money they had.
1: Uh, I can't imagine the of privacy. You know, most discriminated against perhaps of any group. I really don't feel comfortable with our worship being photographed. I really don't. I must go against the entire council. I don't feel good about it. I can, I, they can photograph me all they choose, because I do not care. I'm fearless. I come unafraid of anything, but I don't want the cameras focusing on others. I don't want them. Focus on me all you want. I owe something to my people, and that's to be a good pastor, and that I am. The best I am.
12: His services were dazzling affairs, with soul and the gospel singers, dance groups, and celebrity preachers like black revolutionary Angela Davis. The size of his congregation gave him a political power base. During the 1976 presidential election campaign, he allegedly provided support for the Democrats and met the presidential candidate's wife. Local politicians sought his support, and he became a member of the city's housing commission.
1: People from all walks of life were just fascinated by Jim Jones. I mean, I remember going to a
3: testimonial dinner. Who was there at the dinner? You got Angela Davis, the communist. And then you have Walter Hedy, the chairman of the John Birch Society. And then you had the
1: lieutenant governor of state California, you had the mayor, you had the DA, you had the chief of police, you had the supervisors, you had businessmen. They were all there at this meeting, and I thought, Jim, you got your act He'd today. bring
9: all of these people in, and he himself would come in in the midst of a smaller a retinue of, of aides. They'd shoo him to the front of the, of the room, put him
11: on the center of the chair, and and basically sort of guard him the whole time, guys in dark glasses, black suits, the whole thing. It was very unusual. Jonestown was in its fourth year when
2: Jones arrived in 1977. Conditions had never been easy, but when he took over the agricultural mission, became a labor camp.
13: Well, Jim had armed guards. I mean, young men and women who were told that they needed to watch everybody, and it kept you working hard. We headed out to the fields, and you vied to go really far out, actually, because you couldn't hear Jim over the loudspeakers. Jonestown was wired with loudspeakers, and Jim spoke 24 hours a day on it. When he wasn't speaking, the tapes that they'd made of him speaking played on and on. And Jim would make these announcements, and he'd say, I'm sending out some children and some, some of my aides and other people, you won't know who they are to pretend they want to leave. And it's a test, it's a loyalty test. And if anyone comes to you, you're to report them.
9: You didn't know who it would be, so you just never put the place down and how much you enjoyed it there, how much you loved the place and how great he was and, and how father was so nice and you had to call him father. You just never said anything bad about the place,
2: because if you did, you would be coming up there that night. They also told of full-scale rehearsals for mass suicide in the jungle.
13: I'll talk to psychiatrists, whatever,
7: but I believe I was brainwashed. But we do understand that it's uh, extremely difficult for anyone to comprehend people being in a cult group, standing by watching their daughter being beat 75 times as I did, watching children being beat, microphones held to their mouth while they're screaming so that everyone throughout the building that are not in a public meeting can hear them scream also, Uh, going through electric shock treatment where they're screaming. uh, It's... Incredibly difficult for anyone to believe a story like this. There
1: are SWAT teams consisting of 50 young men and women dressed in khaki. There's two teams of 25 each that, armed. that are armed with a 200 to 300 guns. And that they patrol all day and all night the whole encampment. And that Jim Jones has stated publicly that nobody better try to escape from here because you will be shot
4: the methods that Jim Jones used in his cult the people's temple are definitely classical mind control techniques and according to a book by Michael Myers which is called was jonestown a cia medical experiment his documentation leads him to conclude that actually jonestown was run by the cia prior to being jonestown in the deep jungles of british guiana that site was actually under control of what was called the shalom project this was a cia program for training black mercenaries for warfare in Angola. I'd
13: gone through a false uh, mass suicide. I, I went through one talk and I went through one where we actually took a drink and we were told we had an hour to live so that Jones could find out how people would react
8: psychologically.
10: Turning Jonestown's children against his own enemies was standard practice for Jim Jones and it delighted him.
8: i like to kill Stone and Stone. I'll go back and do it right now.
13: I think that I should take a knife and cut Mr. Tupper all up real good and uh, Put poison in them and invite all all my relatives over there and have them eat them and then i done. <laughs> it was terror. It was living terror living inside Jonestown.
0: Deborah Layton had escaped Jonestown a few months earlier with bizarre tales of mind control, armed guards, and suicide rehearsals. They are recounted in her new book, Seductive Poison. The
13: suicide drills were the most frightening and disturbing things there, that we would be awakened from the middle of a dreamless sleep to Jim's voice screaming over the loudspeaker that that we were going to die, that we had to come to to the pavilion, that mercenaries were coming in to
0: kill us. She put her concerns in a sworn affidavit to the U.S. State Department months before Congressman Ryan's trip. Congressman Ryan and the journalists arrived in Guyana on Tuesday, November 14th, 1978.
6: Well, he was such a a kind man, so compassionate, didn't get excited about nothing. Oh, it'll
8: be okay.
2: It'll
6: It'll be fine. Just take it easy. It'll be fine. That's just the way he was.
2: Mm-hmm. For some time, Ryan had been a thorn in the side of the CIA. He had recently pushed through congressional legislation that curtailed the agency's covert foreign activities. As Ryan prepared for a first-hand look at Jonestown, he was joined by a State Department agent, Richard Dwyer. What he didn't know was that Dwyer was working undercover. The man
9: named Dwyer. Uh, was ahead the head of the CIA here. I mean, the CIA had a presence here. It was an unrevealed presence at the time.
8: I had a premonition about the trip. It, it, there was something that just made me feel a great deal of. Um, Uncertainty. In
0: 1978, Jackie Speier was the legal aid to San Francisco area Congressman Leo Ryan. They were about to embark on a fact-finding trip to look into reports of abuse and brainwashing at the remote jungle compound known as Jonestown.
8: I always kind of um, shake my head in disbelief when they refer to it as a suicide. Those people were not in control of their minds they had been brainwashed
2: the next day 20 temple members decided they wanted to leave in a haze of drugs jones world began to fall apart
12: jones reacted angrily when shown a note from a cult member asking the party for help to get away
5: someone came and passed me this note
1: well that's who we're talking about he wants to leave his son here if jones sounds such a bad place why does he want to leave his son here He's the one that I'm just talking about. Yeah, it's, coming. this is the gentleman. This is the man that wants to leave his son here. People what play is... games, friend. They lie, they lie. What can I do about liars? Are you people going leave us? I just beg you, please leave us. Bill, we will bother nobody. Anybody wants to get out of here, can get out of here. We have no problem about getting out of here. They come and go all the time. I don't know what kind of game people like who, who people like publicity. Some people do. I don't
12: but he said goodbye, apparently calmly. Then he whispered to one of his lieutenants. As the party reached the airport, a man with a knife tried to stab Ryan. The congressman described the attack.
6: Yeah, he said uh, something about uh, rob and choke and kill and, uh, or knife, I don't I don't know, but the obvi- what he said was he intended to kill him.
12: The party had now been joined by about 30 cult members who wanted to get away and the enlarged party walked out towards the aircraft congressman Ryan went over to shake the pilot's hand as the party waited a tractor and trailer appeared in the background hidden men opened fire congressman Ryan Two reporters and an NBC cameraman were killed. Several other journalists and defectors were injured.
2: One man who was not executed at the airstrip was Richard Dwyer, the undercover CIA man from the American embassy, seen here peeling off from Ryan's party seconds before the tractor arrives. Where Dwyer was in the next few hours is key to one of the mysteries that still lies at the heart of the Jonestown tragedy.
0: You're listening to excerpts from Part Five of "Evidence of Revision: Conspirators, Conspicuous." Today's show: Mind Control and Jonestown. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter.
2: Having dealt with Congressman Ryan, Jones now turned his
11: insanity on the Temple's faithful. At this point in time, Jonestown had become surreal. Almost everything that was going on seemed surreal to me. I mean, by this time, I pretty much figured out this this guy was mad. But he said, I've never, never seen or felt Jonestown so peaceful or quiet. And I remember getting a chill just course through my body because Jonestown had never been in more agony, had never been so less together.
2: From his seat in the pavilion, Jones recorded the last desperate hour of the People's Temple. In front of him... More than 900 of his followers who were surrounded by guards holding rifles and crossbows. For all but a few, there was no escape. Subsequent medical examinations revealed that many of the dead had been murdered, held down, and injected with cyanide. Jones himself was one of the last to die. A single gunshot to the head sometime around midnight. His killer has never been known. At 3.30 in the morning when everyone was dead and several hours before anyone arrived, a radio message was sent from Jonestown using a secret CIA channel reporting what it described as a mass suicide. This was the message that shaped our view of Jonestown for years to come, even though the best medical evidence suggests that most of those who died had been murdered. The question then becomes who sent that message? The only functioning radio in the area belonged to the local American intelligence officer, Richard Dwyer. Though he always denied going back to Jonestown that night, the last tape tells a very different story.
1: Take Dwyer on down to the East House. Get Dwyer out of here before something happens to him. Dwyer? I'm not talking about you, Tara. I said Dwyer.
2: Though more than 900 Americans had died, Richard Dwyer and other U.S. Embassy officials would later receive medals and promotions. A multimillion-dollar lawsuit was subsequently filed by Congressman Ryan's daughter and the relatives of those who died. The suit described the deaths as a massacre and alleged that Jones was an agent or operative of the Central Intelligence Agency. It was dismissed on a technicality. Tried. Here's more from Bob Jimenez in Diana. Recovery teams have been removing the dead from Jonestown since Wednesday. Today, as the
1: recovery operation neared what appeared to be the end, the miscalculation was realized. There were not 400 bodies as first thought, but nearly twice that number. Some were found alongside a temple where recovery teams were just starting to work. Air Force Captain John
7: Muscatelli talked to reporters. The original count of persons found dead at the Jonestown site has been found to be seriously in error. It now appears there may be as many as 780 bodies total
10: found at the site. They were found simply buried under other bodies. There were larger adults that were grouped together and under their bodies were found the bodies of smaller uh, adults and children.
2: But the medical team were not the only people in Jonestown that day. During the immediate aftermath, Jeff Briley was approached by a man in civilian clothes who asked him to guard a large box of documents.
11: And he said, I'm from the U.S. Embassy. If anybody tries to take this box away from me, shoot them. And I said, uh, you gotta be out of your mind. I'm not gonna shoot anybody. And he told me that the box was full of sensitive documents and he needed to get those to the U.S. Embassy. I think he probably was CIA.
2: The documents then disappeared into the CIA, and their contents remain secret to this day. Twenty years later, the CIA continues to deny any interest in the People's Temple. They claim that their own file on Jones is empty. But new evidence reveals startling connections between Jones and members of the U.S. intelligence community. It began with a visit to Guyana by Congressman Leo Ryan, some of his staff, and members of the press. He was later killed, along with four other Americans, including Don Harris and Robert Brown of NBC News. After the killings, the Guyanese authorities impounded the first tapes and notes made by the NBC crew.
1: appeared on a uh, public television uh, several months ago with a group of uh, black professionals, mostly uh, psychologists and doctors. They invited me to appear today to provide information that they thought might be, uh, that I might be able to help with this forum today, with their research. Uh, I appeared in Washington in February before the International Relations Committee and uh, made some statements and some charges and documentation which resulted in the Foreign Relations, Foreign Affairs Committee or International Relations Committee, whichever they call it today. Uh, they voted to ask the House Select Committee on Intelligence to investigate my charges. And they are currently investigating those charges by the House Select Committee on Intelligence. Can you tell us what the charges are? Well, the charges basically point me to uh, CIA contact with both the Burnham government there and with the People's Temple, uh, that originally, it was my belief at the time I went to Washington that the purpose of our involvement there was to support the government of Burnham for a commercial reasons, and uh, they used the People's Temple almost as enforcers to help support an unpopular government there to keep control of the government of Guyana. Uh, we knew that there had been an article in the San Mateo Times in December of 79 which indicated that the deputy chief of mission there, Richard Dwyer, uh, was in fact the CIA station chief. He was the one that went to Jonestown with Leo's party, and he claimed to be slightly wounded, but there is a tape made at the time of the murders and suicides there with Jones yelling, get Dwyer out of here, get Dwyer out of here. And the indications are that with Dwyer he went back into Jonestown after Leo was murdered and was there at the time. and there's. Great question is just who shot Jim Jones and why, whether Jones was shot to shut him up. Uh, The question also as to how all these people died and just when they died, which is all documented here. But soon I came back from Washington because of my testimony. I started getting documentation from a Berkeley psychologist called the Penal Colony here, and from the Alliance for Preservation of Religious Liberty in Washington, which indicated other things, one of which was that George Philip Blakey, uh, was a top Jones aide, and he was the man who arranged the purchase or the lease of the land in Guyana, provided the money, and arranged the lease down there in 1974. He also is tracked now as being a CIA operative in uh, Angola in 1975 with UNITA. Are he's also he's also the same guy who was the top aide who arranged all this purchase and the finances is also the husband of Deborah Layton Blakey. Who fled Jonestown and made those charges? He's a brother-in-law of Larry Layton, who was, who was acquitted yesterday. And it's interesting to note the Peninsula Times-Tribune says yesterday the jury acquitted in acquitting Layton, the jury appeared to have agreed with the defense contention that Layton was brainwashed and drugged at the time of the shootings, could not be held criminally responsible. But the gist of what I'm getting to is this: I've received a lot of documentation which I will value here today that indicates the, false- the strong possibility that Jonestown and the People's Temple was in reality a mass mind control experiment conducted by the CIA as a follow-up to something called MK Ultra, which they conducted from the early 50s through 1974. They used to use the VA hospital and state hospitals. They used the federal and state penitentiaries for their experiments. Do you think that Jim Jones was actively involved with the CIA? I do now. Do you have any conclusions as to how the people died in Jonestown? Yes, uh, I have part of our documentation here uh, is a report from, uh, which is uh, attached here. The chief medical examiner in Guyana is a Dr. Leslie Moto. He reported, and this is attached here, his opinion that more than 700 of those bodies found at Jonestown were not suicide victims but were murdered. They have he based this on the injection marks in the upper arm. Page four of my of my uh, statement here. By injection, they guess. Yes, and by and by uh, sh- and, and by uh, gunfire. There were a lot more people killed by gunfire than they've ever admitted so far. We had heard reports that there had, there were fifty of them, about fifty men with guns ringing around there, so people couldn't get out, and very few of them did get out. Uh, According to the uh, chief medical officer in Guyana, most of the people down there were murdered rather than suicide. Who is suppressing all of this? Are you uh, implying the CIA was active in the suppression? Yes, I'm suggesting to you that uh, a lot of things don't make sense here. I'm suggesting that the long delay in anyone getting in, or the press getting in there, or very many people all getting in there for several days, was caused by a deliberate attempt to manufacture the story, which has now been accepted and sold successfully to the American people. And what is that story that you think the people are falsely accepting? That in effect, this was a large group of uh, uh, disillusioned or uh, uh, rather uh, uh, disoriented black people who went down to Guyana and who turned their backs on this country and committed suicide and uh, we might as well, we're good, we're we're rid of them and that's just an aberration type of thing. I think that's the story that's been peddled. Uh, When you, you see the documentation here, You'll begin to wonder yourselves why the first reports were 350 people died or 400 people died. And for several days that was reported and then they started finding more bodies. When the first reports were that 500 were in the jungle, the people examined the bodies the first time and counted them, counted them by name, by types of people, men, women, and children, turned them over. Then a few days later they claimed to have found uh, two and three stacks of bodies underneath those. You know, it, uh, it, it boggles the mind, the stories that were passed out, but they apparently have uh, gotten away with, I think, with one of the greatest fabrications of, of, of recent years. What significance do you attach to the fact that the leadership of the temple was largely white and the membership of the temple was largely black? I mentioned that and in here. I think that that's part and parcel of the whole thing. I think that uh, this is what caused me very suspicious about this whole experiment, about, this whole, about the possibilities here. You know, the, the cadre was all white. And yet we think of Jonestown as a bunch of black people who were committed suicide without mentioning that white cadre. And that doesn't quite add up. I think, think there are racist overtones to the whole thing. What kind of racist overtones? What are you exactly alleging here? I'm alleging that the media picture that was printed, that uh, was painted rather, and then brought him out in print and so on, was that uh, you don't have to worry about these people because they are crazy, they'll do anything, and they're not like us. It's my impression at this time that they were conducting some sort of uh, mind control experiments. For example, they had a very modern hospital down at which they bragged about. So modern that in that population, they had medical checkups for, for everyone every day. So there's no need for that unless you're conducting experiments where you're having control groups and you're giving people, and they gave them they're their vitamins every day. And it's my guess that they were just using them as guinea pigs to see what they could do under isolated circumstances. They'd take them off into a jungle someplace far away from everybody. They'd get them there somehow, and then they're able to see how these various drugs work on different groups. Could you tell us about the details of
8: the murders in Guyana, exactly how they were killed?
10: Well, Dr. Mutu, the pathologist at the site in Jonestown, said that 70 to 80 percent of the bodies had a fresh needle mark in the back of the left shoulder blade at a point they could not have reached themselves, and that the body showed evidence of having been forced to take the shots, um, and the official coroner's verdict from matthews ridge by the Guinean judge and jury that looked into the situation was that all the people had been murdered that not one had been a suicide but found evidence of gunshot wounds and strangulation in many of the other bodies I studied about 150 pictures in which I could see gunshot wounds. There's no way that cyanide pathology explains the condition of those bodies all face down, and you could see drag marks, and the body count went up because the area was surrounded by 350 Guyanese troops, about 200... British Blackwatch troops, which are the equivalent of their Green Beret, on maneuvers at Matthews Ridge in those days, and American Green Berets that came in with the body cleanup teams that spent the period of the five days murdering people, rounding them up in the jungle. The original reports were all 408 dead, and then 700 flee into the woods, and the military said first the Guyanese can't count second that it was bodies on top of bodies though how you start with 408 and end up with 915 and say that the 400 covered the the 500 makes no sense they said bodies in little piles they even said at the end after they'd been there for six days that they forgot to go around to the back of the pavilion and there were 500 bodies back there i mean this was the final official explanation but these people were being killed yes smaller in this room there's
7: an old junkie uh, from Detroit, who was a survivor of Jonestown, the guy who said he hid under the... Uh,
10: Odell name. What happened to him? Where is he now? I don't, I don't know where all the survivors are. Um, many of them survived because they cooperated with the plan and were meant to survive. Uh, that's the case with the ba- basketball team and other, and other people. Um, they, were there they were off somewhere they eventually got to georgetown and eventually came back to the united states some of them were out on a ship the ones that were on the boat with late uh with blakey went to trinidad then they went to panama and emptied a five million dollar bank account in credit suisse And then they went to Grenada. They set up shop in Grenada, I believe, in the mental hospital there with Dr. Bourne and his father who worked in primate research with MK Ultra. And Bourne set up all the methadone programs in the United States for the Rockefellers. And uh, I think they were experimenting on the mental patients because that's the only building bombed in the the invasion of Grenada. And there's 180 people in the the, the inmates in the psychiatric institution murdered, dumped into a mass grave. And then the US was going to send 400 million to rebuild the hospital. And, you know I mean they were going to make it a better unit to experiment on people after they got the right government in was early on the cocaine smuggling operation because I, I, I there were that. drugs and guns being smuggled in and out and there were relations uh, of mercenaries some of these killers uh, that were taken in and out of Angola the CIA backed UNITA forces by Blakey ran mercenaries, and they did run guns and drugs, but the operation was primarily an extension of MKUltra. People were taken off the streets uh, here in San Francisco, out of the welfare rolls, from the elderly homes, from the from the psychiatric institutions, from the prisons. Children were given as wards of the court and turned over into their control. They put them in, in buses, they took them to Miami, and I talked to an air traffic controller. When they landed in Guyana, all of the blacks were bound and gagged coming off of the plane. People five miles away didn't even know there were blacks at yeah. Jonestown. All they had ever seen of People's Temple were the white crew that was running it going in and out of the cities. They were buying Guyanese babies from women wherever they could give a blanket or something for a baby and taking them back in there. And there was massive experimentation. There were enough drugs on site to drug the population of Georgetown, Guiana, over 120,000 for more than a year for a population of 1,200 people in this camp. And Dr. Schacht, who I believe survived, he's not in the first death list. He's added to the second. I think he's related to Halmar Schacht, the micro- Reich's Minister of Finance, who, who developed the, 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 the phrase Arbeit Macht frei," work makes you free at the at the Auschwitz camp, and they came to, to Houston, that's where the Schock family ended up, they were the big bankers for Hitler, and this guy is from Houston, and he was not a doctor, he was described as doing, uh, you know, fi- suturing on wounds without anesthesia and all kind of sadistic things and they had medical tags you can see even in Time Magazine medical tags on the people but an order came down from Zbigniew Brzezinski through Haig to Robert Pastor on site to strip bodies of all identification and tags Then the bodies are left in the sun to rot so that no fingerprints no identification can be done from the tags and no autopsy can be done fluid or otherwise by the time they get back to the United States so you can never find out what killed them or how many drugs. They had in the body. They had one footlocker there with 11,000 doses of Thorazine. And the drugs that are described are the exact drugs that were used for 30 years in MKUltra in the different control scenarios.
0: You've been listening to the voice of John Judge. Today's show has been Mind Control and Jonestown from Part 5 of Evidence of Revision, Conspirators Conspicuous. November 18th is the anniversary of the massacre at Jonestown, Guyana. Some of the voices you heard in today's broadcast include Professor Alan Shefflin of Santa Clara University's Law School, Colin Ross, M.D., author of Mind Control, Linda McDonald, victim of brainwashing experiments. Martin Lee, author of Acid Dreams. Sirhan Sirhan's Mother. Dr. Philip Melanson. Dr. William Bryan. Sirhan Sirhan. Paul McKenna, PhD, Hypnotist. Former Congressman Leo Ryan. The Reverend Jim Jones. Deborah Layton, Jonestown Defector. Kit Nascimento, Minister of Communication, Guyana Government, 1978. Jackie Speer, then legal aide to Congressman Ryan. Tim Carter, Jonestown survivor. Reporter Bob Jimenez. Captain John Moscatelli, U.S. Air Force. Joseph Holsinger, legislative aide to Congressman Leo Ryan from a May 23, 1980 press conference. And lastly, researcher John Judge, whose article on Jonestown, The Black Hole of Guyana, the Untold Story of the Jonestown Massacre can be found at www.radical.org That's r-a-t-i-c-a-l.org. Research for today's show contributed by Todd Fletcher Guns and Butter is produced and edited by Bonnie Faulkner and Yara Mako To order copies of shows email us at blfaulkner at yahoo.com That's b l f a u l KNER at yahoo.com or call 510 848 6767 extension 628. Our website gunsandbutter.net is under reconstruction.
1: Hey, hey. hey, yo, these are some serious times that we live in, G, and our new world order is about to begin. revolution, which is the evolution of the mind. If you seek, then you shall find that we all come from the divine. You dig what I'm saying? Now, if you take heed to the words of wisdom that are written on the walls of life, then universally we will stand and divided we will fall because love conquers all. You understand what I'm saying? This is a call to all you sleeping souls. Wake up and take control of your own and be on the lookout for a spirit sniper trying to steal your life, you know what I'm saying? Look what's inside yourself, for peace, give thanks, live life, and release, you dig me? You got me?